This episode's story was published in 1911 by F. Marion Crawford, a master of the ghost-telling genre. If you like family drama with a dash of the macabre, well, this story is right up your dreadful little alley. This is The Dead Smile by Francis Marion Crawford. Sir Hugh Ockram smiled as he sat by the open window of his study in the late August afternoon. A curiously yellow cloud obscured the low sun, and the clear summer light turned lurid, as if it had been suddenly poisoned and polluted by the foul vapors of a plague. Sir Hugh's face seemed at best to be made of fine parchment drawn skin-tight over a wooden mask in which two sunken eyes peered from far within. The eyes peered from under wrinkled lids, alive and watchful like toads in their holes, side by side and exactly alike. But as the light changed, a little yellow glare flashed in each. He smiled, stretching pale lips across discolored teeth in an expression of profound self-satisfaction, blended with the most unforgiving hatred and contempt for the human doll. Nurse MacDonald, who was a hundred years old, said that when Sir Hugh smiled, he saw the faces of two women in hell, two dead women he had betrayed. The smile widened. The hideous disease of which Sir Hugh was dying had touched his brain. His son stood beside him, tall, white, and delicate as an angel in a primitive picture. And though there was deep distress in his violet eyes as he looked at his father's face, he felt the shadow of that sickening smile stealing across his own lips, parting and drawing them against his will. It was like a bad dream, for he tried not to smile, and smiled the more. Beside him, strangely like him in her wan angelic beauty, with the same shadowy golden hair, the same sad violet eyes, the same luminously pale face, Evelyn Warburton rested one hand upon his arm. As she looked into her uncle's eyes, she could not turn her own away, and she too knew that the deathly smile was hovering on her own red lips, drawing them tightly across her little teeth, while two bright tears ran down her cheeks to her mouth and dropped from the upper to the lower lip. The smile was like the shadow of death and the seal of damnation upon her pure young face. Of course, said Sir Hugh very slowly, looking out at the trees, if you have made your mind up to be married, I cannot hinder you, and I don't suppose you attach the smallest importance to my consent. Father, exclaimed Gabriel reproachfully. No, I do not deceive myself, continued the old man, smiling terribly. You will marry when I am dead, though there is a very good reason why you had better not, why you had better not. He repeated very emphatically, and he slowly turned his toad eyes upon the lovers. What reason? asked Evelyn in a frightened voice. Never mind the reason, my dear. You will marry just as if it did not exist. There was a long pause. Too gone, he said, his voice lowering strangely and two more will be four altogether, forever and ever, burning, burning, burning bright. 
At the last words, his head sank slowly back, and the little glare of his toad eyes disappeared under the swollen lids. Sir Hugh had fallen asleep, as he often did in his illness, even while speaking. Gabriel Ockram drew Evelyn away, and from the study they went out into the dim hall. Softly closing the door behind them, each audibly drew a breath, as though some sudden danger had been passed. As they laid their hands each in the others, their strangely like eyes met in a long look in which love and perfect understanding were darkened by the secret terror of an unknown thing. Their pale faces reflected each other's fear. It's his secret, said Evelyn at last. He will never tell us what it is. If he dies with it, answered Gabriel, let it be on his own head. On his head, echoed the dim hall. It was a strange echo. Some were frightened by it, for they said that if it were a real echo, it should repeat everything and not give back a phrase here and there. Now speaking, now silent. Nurse MacDonald said that the great hall would never echo a prayer when an Ockram was to die, though it would give back curses ten for one. On his head, it repeated quite softly, and Evelyn started and looked around. It's only the echo, said Gabriel, leading her away. They went out into the late afternoon light and sat upon a stone seat behind the chapel, which had been built across the end of the east wing. It was very still, not a breath stirred, and there was no sound near them. Only far off in the park a songbird was whistling the high prelude to the evening chorus. It's very lonely here, said Evelyn, taking Gabriel's hand nervously and speaking as if she dreaded to disturb the silence. If it were dark, I should be afraid. Of what? Of me? Gabriel's sad eyes turned to her. Oh no, never of you, but of the old Ockrams. They say they're just under our feet here in the north vault outside the chapel, all in their shrouds with no coffins as they used to bury them. As they always will, as they will bury my father and me. They say an Ockram will not lie in a coffin. But it can't be true. These are fairy tales, ghost stories. Evelyn nestled nearer to her companion, grasping his hand more tightly as the sun began to go down. Of course, but there is the story of old Sir Vernon, who was beheaded for treason under James II. The family brought his body back from the scaffold in an iron coffin with heavy locks and put it in the north vault. But ever afterwards, whenever the vault was opened to bury another of the family, they found the coffin wide open, the body standing upright against the wall, and the head rolled away in a corner smiling at it. As Uncle Hugh smiles? Evelyn shivered. Yes, I suppose so, answered Gabriel thoughtfully. Of course, I never saw it, and the vault hasn't been open for thirty years. None of us have died since then. And if, if Uncle Hugh dies, shall you? Evelyn stopped. Her beautiful, thin face was quite white. Yes, I shall see him laid there, too, with his secret, whatever it is. Gabriel sighed and pressed the girl's little hand. I don't like to think of it, she said unsteadily. 
Oh, Gabriel, what can the secret be? He said we had better not marry, not that he forbade it, but he said it so strangely, and he smiled. Ugh. Her small white teeth chattered with fear, and she looked over her shoulder while drawing still closer to Gabriel. And somehow, I felt it in my own face. So did I, answered Gabriel in a low, nervous voice. Nurse MacDonald, he stopped abruptly. What? What did she... Ah, oh, nothing. She's told me things. They would frighten you, dear. Come, it's growing chilly. He rose, but Evelyn held his hand in both of hers, still sitting and looking up into his face. But we shall be married just the same. Gabriel, say that we shall. Of course, darling, of course. But while my father is so very ill, it is impossible. Oh, Gabriel, Gabriel, dear, I wish we were married now. Evelyn cried in sudden distress. I know that something will prevent it and keep us apart. Nothing shall. Nothing? Nothing human, said Gabriel Ockram as she drew him down to her. As their faces that were so strangely alike met and touched, Gabriel knew that the kiss had a marvelous savor of evil. Evelyn's lips were like the cool breath of a sweet and mortal fear that neither of them understood, for they were innocent and young. Yet she drew him to her by her lightest touch, as a sensitive plant shivers, waves its thin leaves, and bends and closes softly upon what it wants. He let himself be drawn to her willingly, as he would even if her touch had been deadly and poisonous for he strangely loved that half-voluptuous breath of fear, and he passionately desired the nameless evil something that lurked in her maiden lips. It is as if we loved in a strange dream, she said. I fear the waking, he murmured. We shall not wake, dear. When the dream is over, it will have already turned into death, so softly that we shall not know it. But until then, she paused, her eyes seeking his, as their faces slowly came nearer. It was as if each had thoughts in their lips that foresaw and foreknew the other. Until then, she said again, very low, her mouth near to his. Dream, till then, he murmured. Nurse MacDonald slept sitting all bent together in a great old leather armchair with wings, Many warm blankets wrapped about her, even in summer. She would rest her feet in a bag footstool lined with sheepskin while beside her on a wooden table there was a little lamp that burned at night and an old silver cup in which there was always something to drink. Her face was very wrinkled, but the wrinkles were so small and fine and close together that they made shadows instead of lines. Two thin locks of hair that were turning from white to a smoky yellow fell over her temples from under her starched white cap. Every now and then she would wake from her slumber, her eyelids drawn up in tiny folds like little pink silk curtains, and her queer blue eyes would look straight ahead through doors and walls and worlds to a far place beyond. Then she'd sleep again with her hands one upon the other, on the edge of the blanket, her thumbs grown longer than the fingers with age. It was nearly one o'clock in the night, 
and the summer breeze was blowing the ivy branch against the panes of the window with a hushing caress. In the small room beyond, with the door ajar, the young maid who took care of Nurse MacDonald was fast asleep. All was very quiet. The old woman breathed regularly, and her drawn lips trembled each time the breath went out. But outside the closed window, there was a face. Violet eyes were looking steadily at the ancient sleeper, strange as there were eighty feet from the sill of the window to the foot of the tower. It was like the face of Evelyn Warburton, yet the cheeks were thinner than Evelyn's and as white as a gleam. The eyes stared and the lips were red with life. They were dead lips, painted with new blood. Slowly, Nurse MacDonald's wrinkled eyelids folded back, and she looked straight at the face at the window. Is it time? She asked in her little, old, faraway voice. While she looked, the face at the window changed. The eyes opened wider and wider till the white glared all around the bright violet, and the bloody lips opened over gleaming teeth. The shadowy golden hair surrounding the face rose and streamed against the window in the night breeze, and in answer to Nurse MacDonald's question came a sound that froze the living flesh. It was a low moaning voice, one that rose suddenly like the scream of storm. Then it went from a moan to a wail, from a wail to a howl, and from a howl to the shriek of the tortured dead. He who has heard it before knows, and he can bear witness that the cry of the banshee is an evil cry to hear alone in the deep night. When it was over and the face was gone, Nurse MacDonald shook a little in her great chair. She looked at the black square of the window, but there was nothing more there, nothing but the night and the whispering ivy branch. She turned her head to the door that was ajar, and there stood the young maid in her white gown, her teeth chattering with fright. It is time, child, said Nurse MacDonald. I must go to him, for it is the end. She rose slowly, leaning her withered hands upon the arms of the chair as the girl brought her a woolen gown, a great mantle, and her crutch stick. But very often the girl looked at the window and was unjointed with fear, and often Nurse MacDonald shook her head and said words which the maid could not understand. It was like the face of Miss Evelyn, said the girl, trembling. But the ancient woman looked up sharply and angrily. Her queer blue eyes glared. She held herself up by the arm of the great chair with her left hand and lifted up her crutch stick to strike the maid with all her might. But she did not. You are a good girl, she said. But you are a fool. Pray for wit, child. Pray for wit, or else find service in a house other than Ockram Hall. Now bring the lamp and help me up. Each step Nurse MacDonald took was a labor in itself, and as she moved, the maid's slippers clappered alongside. By the clacking noise, the other servants knew that she was coming very long before they saw her. No one was sleeping now and there were lights and whisperings and pale faces in the corridors near Sir Hugh's bedroom. Often someone would go in, and someone would come out, but every one made way for Nurse MacDonald, who had nursed Sir Hugh's father more than eighty years ago. 
The light was soft and clear in the room. Gabriel Ockram stood by his father's bedside, and there knelt Evelyn Warburton, her hair lying like a golden shadow down her shoulder, and her hands clasped nervously together. Opposite Gabriel, a nurse was trying to make Sir Hugh drink, but he would not. His lips parted, but his teeth were set. He was very, very thin now, and as his eyes caught the light sideways, they were as yellow coals. Do not torment him, said Nurse MacDonald to the woman who held the cup. Let me speak to him, for his hour is come. Let her speak to him, said Gabriel in a dull voice. The ancient nurse leaned to the pillow and laid the featherweight of her withered hand that was like a grown moth upon Sir Hugh's yellow fingers. Then she spoke to him earnestly, while only Gabriel and Evelyn were left in the room to hear. Hugh Ockram, she said, this is the end of your life, and as I saw you born and saw your father born before you, I come to see you die. Hugh Ockram, will you tell me the truth? The dying man recognized the little faraway voice he had known all his life, and he very slowly turned his yellow face to Nurse MacDonald, but he said nothing. Then she spoke again. Hugh Ockram, you will never see the daylight again. Will you tell the truth? His toad-like eyes were not yet dull. They fastened themselves on her face. What do you want of me? He asked, each word sounding more hollow than the last. I have no secrets. I have lived a good life. Nurse MacDonald laughed a tiny cracked laugh that made her old head bob and tremble a little, as if her neck were on a steel spring. But Sir Hugh's eyes grew red, and his pale lips began to twist. Let me die in peace, he said slowly. But Nurse MacDonald shook her head, and her brown, moth-like hand left his and fluttered to his forehead. By the mother that bore you and died of grief for the sins you did. Tell me the truth. Sir Hugh's lips tightened on his discolored teeth. Not on earth, he answered slowly. By the wife who bore your son and died heartbroken, tell me the truth. Neither to you in life nor to her in death. His lips writhed as if the words were coals between them, and a great drop of sweat rolled across the parchment of his forehead. Gabriel Ockram bit his hand as he watched his father die, but Nurse MacDonald spoke a third time. By the woman whom you betrayed, and who waits for you this night, you Ockram, tell me the truth. It is too late. Let me die in peace. His writhing lips began to smile across his yellow teeth, and his toad-like eyes glowed like evil jewels in his head. 
There is time, said the ancient woman. Tell me the name of Evelyn Warburton's father. Then I will let you die in peace. Evelyn started. She stared at Nurse MacDonald and then at her uncle. The name of Evelyn's father. He repeated slowly while the awful smile spread upon his dying face. The light was growing strangely dim in the great room. As Evelyn looked on, Nurse MacDonald's crooked shadow on the wall grew gigantic. Sir Hugh's breath was becoming thick, rattling in his throat, as death crept in like a snake and choked it back. Evelyn prayed aloud, high and clear. Then something rapped at the window, and she felt her hair rise upon her head. She looked around in spite of herself, and when she saw her own white face looking in at the window, her own eyes staring at her through the glass, wide and fearful, her own hair streaming against the pane and her own lips dashed with blood, she rose slowly from the floor and stood rigid for one moment before she screamed once and fell straight back to Gabriel's arms. But the shriek that answered hers was the fear shriek of a tormented corpse, out of which the soul cannot pass for shame of deadly sins. Sir Hugh Ockram sat upright in his deathbed and saw and cried aloud. Evelyn! His harsh voice broke and rattled in his chest as he sank down, but still Nurse MacDonald tortured him, for there was a little life left in him still. You have seen the mother as she waits for you, Hugh Ockram. Who was this girl Evelyn's father? What was his name? For the last time, the dreadful smile came upon the twisted lips, very slowly, very surely now. The toad eyes glared red and the parchment face glowed a little in the flickering light. For the last time, words came. They know it. In hell. Then the glowing eyes went out quickly, the yellow face turned waxen pale, and a great shiver ran through the thin body as Hugh Ockram died. But in death he still smiled, for he knew his secret and kept it still. He would take it with him to the other side, to lie with him forever in the north vault of the chapel where the Ockrams lie uncoffined in their shrouds all but one. Though he was dead, he smiled, for he had kept his treasure of evil truth to the end. There was none left to tell the name he had spoken, but there was all the evil he had not undone left to bear fruit. As they watched, Nurse MacDonald and Gabriel, who held the still unconscious Evelyn in his arms while he looked at the father, they felt the dead smile crawling along their own lips. Then they shivered a little as they both looked at Evelyn as she lay with her head on Gabriel's shoulder. For though she was very beautiful, the same sickening smile was twisting her young mouth too, and it was like the foreshadowing of a great evil that they could not understand. By and by they carried Evelyn out, and when she opened her eyes, the smile was gone. From far away in the great house, the sound of weeping and crooning came up the stairs, and echoed along the dismal corridors as the women had begun to mourn the dead master in the Irish fashion. The hall had echoes of its own all that night, 
like the far-off wail of the banshee among forest trees. When the time was come, they took Sir Hugh and his winding sheet on a trestle bier and bore him to the chapel through the iron door and down the long descent to the north vault, lit with tapers, to lay him by his father. The two men went in first to prepare the place and came back staggering like drunken men, their faces white. But Gabriel Ockram was not afraid, for he knew. When he went in alone, he saw the body of Sir Vernon Ockram leaning upright against the stone wall. Its head lay on the ground nearby with the face turned up. The dried leather lips smiled horribly at the dried-up corpse, while the iron coffin, lined with black velvet, stood open on the floor. Gabriel took the body in his hands, for it was very light, being quite dried by the air of the vault, and those who peeped in the door saw him lay it in the coffin again. They heard it rustle a little as it touched the sides and the bottom, like a bundle of reeds. He also placed the head upon the shoulders and shut down the lid, which fell too with the snap of its rusty spring. After that they laid Sir Hugh beside his father, on the trestle bier on which they had brought him, and they went back to the chapel. But when they looked into one another's faces, master and men, they were all smiling with the dead smile of the corpses they had left in the vault. They could not bear to look at one another again until it had faded away. To be continued. Thank you for listening to the Dark Volumes podcast. Please spread the word. Madness does love company. And we'll talk again soon.